0: This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, this is Ariel Adams with the Superlative Podcast. Today I have two guests and we're going to be talking about the Alliance of British Watch and Clockmakers. My guests are the co-founder, Mr. Mike France, and the chairman, the great Roger Smith. Roger and Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ariel. Great.
0: Thank you. I was just sort of musing before we started on the fact that we could be speaking for hours about things. Um, For those that don't know, Roger Smith was the chosen apprentice of the great George Daniels, which is, forget the fact that he was British. He was an amazing personality. He was a very special person. His life is a story that you should know about. His work is work that you should know about. He is unfortunately no longer with us, but he is truly a type of personality that you need to understand if you're going to be a modern watch enthusiast. And Roger is his apprentice. You've carried on his work. Uh, Mike, we've had on the show before. Um, He's the CEO of Christopher Ward Watches. And I'll just sort of briefly introduce the Alliance it is a group, and I want you to tell me more about it of, of British watch and clockmakers. You have nearly 80 members now. Maybe you could share exactly what the alliance is in your words and why did you guys start it?
1: Do you want to kick off, Roger?
0: Yes. Yeah, fine. So
2: the Alliance of British watch and clockmakers was set up just over two years ago, and it followed a series of sort of, well, first of all, a chance meeting with Mike. I mean, I'd got to know Mike. Over several years at Salon QP in London. Um I think it was in about 2019, um, I was visiting and uh, we, we were sort of moaning the fact that we felt lots was going on in British watchmaking. And yet there was no representation or real understanding as to what is going on in British watchmaking. You know, this is throughout Britain and the world, but also it wasn't being talked about in the sort of media and so on uh watch media um
0: now let's give some context here so i just want to just chime in here because i think before we talk about british watchmaking we need to talk about the fact that there was a very important history of watchmaking in england for a period of time england was the most important place in the world when it came to horology and like many places that built watches in the past its manufacturing of watches really waned or went to nothing and there's been sort of a resurgence. So, I mean, again, try to incorporate a little bit here. I just I I want to know from your perspective the history of British watchmaking. Um,
2: yeah, so it, was, it had a great and glorious past going back to, you know, the sort of mid sort of 1600s um, had a great resurgence and started to decline in the 1850s and that was uh, really in some part due to the fact that the British uh, watchmakers didn't accept mass production. Um, America at that point was sort of uh, mechanization, industrial mechanization of watchmaking. And um, uh, they very quickly started to make very high quality pocket watches, which were a third the price of the equivalent sort of British or English pocket watch. And that was really the start of the long, slow decline in um, manufacturing within Britain.
0: So it's been picked up again and enough of it is happening that you decided that there needs to be, I guess, a trade organization, an alliance in the real sense. This is not something which has happened necessarily in other countries. In the United States, for example, where there's also a bit of a resurgence, it's still very much a disparate group. other countries the same way. What is it about British watch and clockmakers, especially that made it uh, such a great place to have a, a collective uh, you know, a, a collective voice? Um, an, an actual organization, an alliance. I, I think that's very inter- interesting. That there's sort of a sense of camaraderie and teamwork in, in, a, in a sort of an accelerated way. Do, do, do you see it that way, or do you think that everyone is just a support of their own country's watchmaking? Do you want to, do you want to go in there?
1: Mike? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, I think, as as Roger says, part of the um, part of the uh, the reason is is indeed the the background, the history of British watch and clock making, which. Um, as Roger said, was uh, was so uh, huge. I mean, uh, you know, so, still today, I think seventy five percent or more of all of the um, major developments in uh, in watchmaking came from these shores. So there's there's this sort of um, historical perspective which somehow links people. Um, but as Roger said, when we when we sort of um, mooted the idea, um, it was largely because it was quite disparate. Uh, not unlike uh, other countries as you mentioned Ariel. Um indeed we 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 ultimately discovered that the, the government had no idea there was a watchmaking sector in the UK so if you're invisible um it's very hard to <laughs> bring people together and we knew that there was um there was there was some exciting stuff going on we 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 were bumping into people at shows um we knew poli- you know um People who were making uh, great watches in the UK, but it was not. Nobody had a sense of the scale of it. So we firstly decided to when we we had a, no idea. And but b- bear in mind when we launched, we had absolutely no idea how many watch and clock making companies existed in the UK. There was no record of them. And so the first thing uh, we 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 did was was trawl and find. Uh, as many of the uh, of the watch brands and watchmakers and clockmakers out there that we could and very quickly um we learned that it was much bigger there were far more than uh, than we knew existed and in forging the alliance it gave i suppose a um, a sense of community to to people it gave yeah. a place where people could a understand that there were others in the same sector as they were uh, that there were people who they could ask advice of so part of the rationale was this connecting of people and once you start connecting people uh, and the most of the people i mean virtually all of the people who are trade members of the alliance um, really understand that um, and have the same priority which is just to grow and promote british watch and clock making and british watch and clock brands and because they um have that same shared um vision there's a real interest in sharing information and f- and helping each other and so what we discovered was was this sort of real i suppose uh, surprising camaraderie surprising interest in, in other people because it's still a very small sector i mean we you know yes there were there were, we we've ultimately now got 78 Um, brands involved in the uh, in the alliance but it's still generating at retail you know not much more than 150 uh, million pound of turnover Um, so it's still a small um, sector but actually it's probably one of the fastest growing sectors in watchmaking anywhere in the world if not the greatest Um, and this sort of collective Desire to grow it has led to lots of cross pollination, lots of sharing of information, all with the same purpose in mind, which is to grow and promote British watch and clock making in the UK. And that's, I think, what's happening. And if you shine, you know, if the sun shines on things, it tends to grow. And in a way, what we did was was, you know, allow the sun to shine a little bit more on the um, on the industry that was already here.
0: Right. Uh, that's interesting that you had to actually go out and search for members at the beginning because you didn't actually know how many potential members there would be. And I'm wondering, did you learn anything about what British watchmaking is today? Was there a common thread uh, that that was shared throughout these companies, something related to the personality or how they make something? I mean, I have so much to say about why such an organization makes sense, but did you learn a little bit about what British watchmaking, clockmaking means today?
2: I think it was a real eye opener really <laughs> but then again not really surprising that um the industry today in in Britain is reliant upon imports you know it's um there are some very large companies involved you know obviously people like Christopher Ward and so on uh, large players in the industry um but predominantly for a nation that's lost its watchmaking industry in order to regrow we have to be reliant upon other watchmaking industries and it's trying to get that message across you know there is this sort of great idea that uh, because we were once a great watchmaking nation we need to go down that route immediately and we need to be all need to be hand making watches from day one and um there's certainly the desire to do that and there is a huge desire out there to bring back uh, manufacturing to britain but um I think the sort of thing that we realized, Mike, was that um, um, it takes time. You know, once Mm. you've lost those skills, it does take time to bring it back. And sort of our role uh, with the Alliance is trying to encourage that, trying to encourage that conversation and trying to have that conversation with the people who are entering into the industry, but also the educators, uh, making sure that people have a realistic view as to what is going on today in British watchmaking.
1: Do you think that's fair, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, Roger. And the, um, I mean, there the, we discovered there was no, virtually no infrastructure. Um, this was not a surprise to us. We kind of knew it, I think. But it, the, there is virtually no infrastructure uh, that can support a volume uh, industry in the UK at the moment, and it is a long-term project to help build that. And our view is that the best way to encourage that is actually to uh, grow British brands um, so that they become bigger and bigger, and then collectively uh, there will be enough um, enough demand that investment in a, in elements of infrastructure in the UK will make a lot of sense. But we are mm. talking about a you know a long term project here. This is uh, you know it's not something that's going to uh, happen probably probably mm. in my lifetime uh, to 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 the extent that uh, we would love it to happen, but there are already you know some some uh, green shoots occurring um and you know when you when you start um, pooling information um you 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 discover that you know there are you know well over a million watches being produced in the uk well that's interesting isn't it Um, nobody knew that um until um, until recently so as Roger says, most of those watches are using um, componentry that is um, coming from either the Far East or Switzerland, um, in the main. And um, but you know there's a there's a there's a there's a there's a million plus watches now. You know that's just if you talk about case making, that becomes sort of interesting potentially for uh, somebody who might be interested in investing in case making information that was previously not known. So I think I think it's a, it's a long term project. The other thing that surprised us I think was the uh, the amount of um, young people who were uh, setting up brands as well. Mm. You know, it's a very vibrant sector. Um you know there's a lot of really brilliant design being brought to bear. There mm. are there are there are you know it's it's not uh, it's not uh, it's not traditionalist in in lots of ways. These are these are young men and women who are um you know pretty determined to um to to grow uh brands uh in this country and uh mm. you know that that was a shock in some ways um because you it, it we knew it was not moribund and we knew there were one or two young people about but actually it's it's incredible roger isn't it how many
2: yeah exactly and um yeah i mean the interesting point you make there mike was the fact that uh well for me certainly it, I think the vast majority of people have come from outside of the, what we would call traditional mm. watchmaking world. Yeah. You know, they are just people, designers. I mean, Mr. Jones is a very good example, isn't he? Mm, um, absolutely. That's a yeah, guy who's now got a very successful uh, business based in London, um, again, based on imports, but they're also doing a lot of, handwork within london you know they are printing their own dials they're working with artists to create some very interesting and different and fun sort of dials for their watches so um it's a real mix of things and a very young vibrant uh, company and again something that hasn't been it's not grown out of the industry this is a guy coming to it from completely outside of the watch making sort of world that i certainly knew many years ago
0: mm. yeah we've had we've had mr jones uh yes. Crispin uh on the show told his story here of course mm. I'm, I'm a big fan as well both of you mentioned uh industrialization a couple of times and i want to sort of unpack this for people so they understand some of the context i think what you're saying is that there's an interest by the alliance and you two personally to have more of the pieces of the British watches made in England. And you're saying that you're a long ways off from being able to make all of the things that go into a watch in England, but you want to move in that direction because you feel that that's the way to make it a real industry with longevity, not just a bunch of entrepreneurs ordering parts elsewhere and assembling it. Even though there's a lot of British ingenuity, there's there's not a lot of permanence which is created in the country. But once you have the ability to both design and make, and then, of course, sell and market watches, you really have the industry um, in your country. You have more control. You can build things the way you want. You can control costs in a different way. There's a lot of advantages to being able to build as much as possible, if not everything um, on your soil and we've seen a little bit in the world of high technology and semiconductors where certain countries need it and certain countries build it and how just emotions in one area can affect entire businesses if somebody doesn't want to sell england one particular part that you need to make watches you you yeah. could be out of luck yeah. and boom somebody else's decision could really affect your industry so there's there's a lot at stake in being able to industrialize um and again please unpack that a little bit more Yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you've kind of hit it the nail on the head there,
2: really. I mean, if you look at our workshop here on the Isle of Man, you know, we, we're very unusual in the fact that we can make pretty much everything with exception to the jewels, mainsprings and balances and crystals and straps for our watches. Everything else we do make in, in house. And that is very rare and um, also very challenging. Um, I mean, it's taken us sort of, 20-odd years of bashing our heads against a wall to learn those skills. Now, it would be a very different thing to then come into our workshop and scale that up into a mass production-type system. Again, you'd suddenly be almost starting from scratch again. You know, To do what we do in a mass production-type environment has an inordinate number of challenges. One of the biggest challenges is a lack of knowledge to do that within britain i mean there is no knowledge to mm-hmm. there is no uh, wherewithal or knowledge to mass-produce watches i mean it's gone um we can buy all the same machines that you can find in switzerland or the far east we can buy all the equipment but what we are lacking is knowledge and to replace that that is the really difficult difficult uh challenge um so it's a matter of just picking off, as Mike said, you know, talking about cases, picking off the sort of possibly the easy, um, easy tasks, and focusing on those, and that's sort of what we're hoping to sort of encourage. Um, and be a long, slow process. But you know, if you if you just look at, well, let's say the well, making wheels, you know, a wheel and pinion assembly. And takes takes an incredible amount of intellectual property, you know, information that companies in, let's say, Switzerland or wherever hold on to very, very tightly. Um, there are so many numerous processes involved in just assembling what are apparently two very simple components. But there's a massive amount of um, knowledge in getting to that point, and that's what we're lacking, and that's what we hope eventually we can start to bring back but the only way really to do it I think Mike isn't it is to bring talented people over from other watchmaking nations and hope
1: that they can share the knowledge but even then it's it's a big big process isn't it it, it is um but you know there are um there are signs of um of things happening I mean I'm I'm yeah. as you know Roger I'm aware of um a business that is um trying very hard to um set up a case making operation yes um, you know they've invested in um in the right sort of cnc machines we've been helping them in terms of um, our technical expertise um they may or may not make it but they uh, were encouraged to do it only because the alliance existed so they mm. they they read about the alliance uh, were s- astonished by the scale of the the people involved in uh, in watchmaking in the uk uh, were engineers and um and determined that um they would uh, they would do what they could to um to get involved and and so you know that's, uh it's a small staff but if they if they if they can uh deliver what they hope to deliver they would be producing in a relatively short space of time you know uh, High-quality cases that are um, competitive, certainly with um, very competitive with any case out of Switzerland, and pretty competitive with any case out of the Far East. So yes, they can start supplying the UK, but they could also start supplying um, the rest of watchmaking as well. So I think it's um, it's not impossible. We just have to, and as Roger says, part of it is a lot of it is to do with education um and encouraging the brightest and the best into the industry so that the way mm. it the way it will grow is through people
2: mm.
1: uh, and you know the best people and at them you know until relatively recently um you know to have a career in any part of watchmaking in the UK was not something that you're going to get that was going to get mentioned at university <laughs> um, Uh, There is only one real degree course in the UK um, at Birmingham City University, which um, Roger and I and the Alliance have uh, strong links with. And the good news there is that, you know, there is a mushrooming of interest in people becoming, um, uh, getting degrees in watchmaking in the UK so that the course is expanding uh, significantly over time. And... They are looking to um, expand the um expand the sort of um the parameters of the course because you know not everybody wants um to work at the bench for the rest of their lives. And at the moment, most of those going through that course at Birmingham City University would think that they're likely to be in a career of um, servicing and repairing watches. Well, that's a great and admirable thing to do, but actually. You know, the brightest and the best may also want to be involved in, in in other areas of uh, of watchmaking. You know, design of watches, design of movements, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then there's the ancillary parts of a of a of, of business that uh, we need to encourage people into, whether it be the marketing of watches, whether it be the quality management of watches, etc. So it, it's about this um, slow but steady um, approach of bringing making it a more attractive industry to be involved in the uk and that's through we believe through quality growth and the best way to do that is collectively because we we absolutely believe that we are it's more likely to happen faster and better if we are together than if we're all disparate and that was really the the prime motivation for Roger and I in, in setting setting up the alliance. we just fundamentally believe that it is going to be um uh, an easier route to growth if we can collate and collect um these companies and these people together um and um, and that's what's happened really and that's that's been the that's been the most heartwarming um and the most um the most positive result is the the willingness of people to to get on the bus and um if you've got the right people on the bus um, you can then um who knows where you can drive it to?
0: Undoubtedly so. I think it's important also to like play devil's advocate a little bit here to sort of discuss some of the challenges. There's sort of a little bit of sheep sheepishness around the discussion of we need to you know bring this manufacturing capacity back to England because what's involved is opening up new factories, spending huge amounts of money in creating facilities, uh, the the talent to be there the knowledge and the, through trial and error, long periods of trial and mm. error and experimentation of just how to build things, and then having to do it at a price which makes it competitive with the rest of the world. There's a yeah. lot of economics here. So here's, here's the question. Here's where the mm. advocacy comes in. What else can these factories do, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you're worried. You're like, okay, I get what I have to do to be able to make let's say, you know, these these pinions, okay, that that Roger's talking about, these small little parts that require a lot of sophistication to make. They're, They're relatively humble. No one wants to pay a lot for them, but it's really hard to make them. If they're not making pinions for watch movements, What else can they do so that they can quickly pivot their operation or simultaneously at the same time build something else? What other industries can they serve? Is it robotics? Is it drones? Is it something else? There's got to be some business case for why having this precision micro-manufacturing in England makes sense outside of just watches, right?
1: I completely agree. And um, indeed, you could advocate one course of the the sector – Becoming much more like the um, the F1 sector in the UK, which um, is very specialist, um, very high quality, very technical, and it may be that um, that's something that um, that we can tap into, and also that the watch industry can um, uh, can itself prevail upon in terms of high high technical advances in watchmaking. Because one of the things that we are pretty good at, as well as entrepreneurship in this country, is invention, is ingenuity. You know, I don't think it's an accident that uh, George Daniels was uh, was British. I don't think it's an accident that Roger Smith is British. I won't, I won't embarrass him, but um, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, already, Mike. I know, I know, but but you know, the, the, these are people who you know, you know the. Uh, arguably, the greatest invention in the last 150, 200 years in watchmaking is the coaxial escapement. Um, well, that came from these shores, and I know that Roger has continued to develop that. Um, and so there is, there are other things that um, we can bring to the watchmaking party as a nation. I think, um, apart from just, um, just volume, uh, I think it's about um, potentially becoming very, very science-based very very technical based very uh advanced in our thinking in terms of moving watchmaking forward in those ways i don't know what you think about that roger
2: yeah yeah i mean yes i i would agree there mike um and you only need to look at our sort of 78 um brands or companies who are part of the alliance already they're all coming with a very unique and very different story and that, for me, is, you know, the exciting part of, you know, what the Alliance is is sort of achieving so far. Um, you know, I think we can't be under any illusions. You know, as I mentioned before, there are some very large people who just recently joined the watchmaking world and who are trying to make their way. But they're all coming with some really fabulous stories and a take on watchmaking. Very different, very fresh. An interesting take on watchmaking, and you know there is no doubt that there is the enthusiasm and drive there to do something to to build on what we already have. And um, again, just re- I was talking to one of the uh, watchmaking companies um, in the latter part of last year, and um, they are also now talking or they were inquiring they're asking advice on what sort of CNC equipment is available and um, I put them in touch with the a couple of engineers um, who we who work with us um, and build our components and you know we were advising them as to the best sort of CNC approach so things are happening there's no doubt about it um, mm. but it's just small steps and hopefully, with the Alliance being there in the center of this and able to put people together and share conversations, you know, things can really sort of happen and move in the right direction.
0: Roger, I want to talk a little bit about your expertise and how it fits into the things you spoke about. You are known in the watch enthusiast community as one of the few watchmakers around the world that more or less makes handmade watches. You do it about as much as could be done, this sort of traditional process of making watches one at one at a time. But that's not what most people are talking about, even in, in high luxury watchmaking, where a lot of the parts are made um, in, you know in an industrial way and you know in a very precise way and hand finished and of mm. course hand assembled. But what can that side of the industry learn from what you do, or vice versa? How can you, as a very traditional watchmaker, obviously your skills expand beyond that, but how can you best advise an industry that's trying to reindustrialize?
2: I think uh, may, maybe it's a slight sense of reality. Um, I mean, I've been through it all. I, you know, I followed George Daniels and his approach to watchmaking, where basically one person designs and and makes a watch from start to finish. That's the sort of basic premise of of it all. Um, I have, a, I suppose, a deep understanding of watchmaking, and Mm. I think that is useful um, in having conversations, you know, with people in the Alliance and with people like Mike. I mean, I think the reason why Mike and myself sort of hit it off is because we came from such very different backgrounds, and I came from a totally obsessive world of, of watchmaking that had consumed my life for decades. And um, mm. Mike had come from a business background, you know, a very high-level business background. And, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, Mike, but you, you sort of joined it maybe 15 years ago, didn't you, Mike? But mm. uh, Mike came in with a a businessman's head on, and that is vital, so vital. In, in helping to shape a future
1: for British watchmaking. And so I think that's perhaps how it works, isn't it, Mike? Would you agree? Yeah, I think um I think there's no doubt that um having Roger as the sort of um I don't know the, the head of the organization is a is a brilliant rallying call for everybody in it. And not not just because of the quality of what he has done and does, but also and I, you know, this is again, um, R- Roger. You know, I don't see Roger's business as a traditional business in many ways because um, I've rarely met anybody who, uh, in any part of my career um, outside of watches or within it, who uh, is invested as much in the future and um, as Roger and and his businesses. And yes, they are making. Um, you know, watches um, in a different way to the way we make watches. I mean, you know, you can't compare the two. Um, But actually, in terms of um, innovation, there's as much innovation, if not more, going on in in Roger's business than anyone I've come across in the whole of watchmaking. Um, Both, not just here, I'm talking in Switzerland as well. And, um, you know, I I do know, um, you know, Roger has been involved in some very advanced sort of areas um uh, of of thinking in terms of nanotechnologies um so i think to have um to have somebody like roger whose credentials you know go without saying but also who is so invested in in uh in thinking of about the future i think is a brilliant rallying um rallying cry for for anybody in this country and you know uh who's involved in watchmaking and if i bring anything at all to the party it is uh it is um you know um a certain sort of i don't know drive and understanding of uh of how uh, of of how putting people together to make things happen um, can mm-hmm. occur um so um, it, it, it does work, I think, very well. Um, and, you know, the question you ask, Ariel, is, is I, I, th- I think Roger's skills and his outlook are perfectly positioned to help him no matter what type of watchmaking business you, you, you actually uh, have.
0: Hi, I'm Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message from eBay, a platform I probably use daily. Make sure your watches are the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. I believe it's the first and best service of its kind that protects your luxury purchases and checks each watch individually at eBay's highly reputable authentication partner, Stolen Company, in the United States. From band to bezel, their authenticators ensure each wristwatch matches the eBay listing and is the real deal. Authenticity guarantee is also very fast. Once authentication is complete, your watch is securely delivered via rapid two-day shipping. Surprisingly, eBay's authenticity guarantee service is free for all watches priced $2,000 and up. No one should buy a luxury item without an authenticity guarantee. Do what I do and check eBay before each watch purchase because everyone deserves real. Now, let's go back again to uh, George Daniels. just want to spend one more moment on him. He was such a character. And again, I'm I'm envious because I didn't get to meet him ever. I've I've known of him secondhand through lots of people who've had direct personal relationships Roger, others. And I get all these wonderful stories about someone who seems to be a larger than life character. And it sounds like people frequently think to themselves, what would George have done? What would he have said? How would would he have have put it? And in this context, what would he have done with the alliance? What steps do you think he would have taken to bring watchmaking a little bit back to England? Would he have even thought it was a good idea, given what you are trying to do today? What do you imagine Mr. Daniels's perspective on it being?
2: I would, uh, well, yes, I mean also I worked with him for many years and I got to know him very well, and I honestly believe he'd be doing what we would be doing today. I mean the the the. The overwhelming sort of characteristic of George was that he was a realist. you know he he understood what was going on in the world of watchmaking and he was to, you know completely aware of the lack of what was going on in British watchmaking and um, he was under no illusion that and he did have ambitions to try and bring back British watchmaking. um, And he used to talk about it and so on in the workshop. Um, He's always sort of trying to get involved in education and so on and trying to encourage the sort of established groups within Britain to um, open up their education and so on. Um, And actually, when you looked at the way he built his watches, you know, he uh, quite a bit of the equipment that he had in his workshop was not traditional watchmaking equipment. You know, he he studied how it had been done before, how it had been done on this sort of hand sort of made approach. And, um, you know, he decided to sort of sidestep that and sort of buy some what was then modern, you know, hand operated equipment to help him build his watches. So the evidence is there in his workshop that, in his view, the traditional approach was not the ways forward. So. Um, yeah, I mean, he used to come around to the workshop when we had our first uh, CNC machine. And I remember him just standing in front of the machine and, you know, completely, totally uh, immersed and animated about what was going on and about how it worked. And I think he could see that having a machine like that um, gives you so much freedom, so much ability to um, sort of grow. Uh, the business and be flexible and to do things outside of, if you like, the normal sort of watch industry.
0: I'm thinking about the comparisons to Switzerland, which has obviously more companies in the watch industry because it's con- been consistently in the watch industry longer. Mm. And they have trade organizations for sure, but there's a sort of sense that there's a lot of competition. It's very, very uh, sometimes heated, the battles between the brands, because it is a very competitive marketplace. And I don't think that that's too far off in England. But at the same time, there is this willingness to to band together in an alliance. There is camaraderie. What are some of the things that this sharing allows? Um, you know, do you help the brand's answer questions you have meetings you know explain a little bit about how being an organization helps these companies do things that that it would be more challenging to do if they were purely on their own mike
1: 20, 20 yeah now. i mean I, I think there are several ways i mean um a, a very obvious um, example um would be we have regular open dials uh online sessions where um members of the alliance club members of the alliance because so you can join the alliance um uh free as a trade member and the trade membership is is essentially what the alliance is focused on but actually um uh, we encourage club members uh to join as well uh and the only uh the only thing you need is a real interest in watchmaking to um to 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 wish to become a member and we've got um you know members members from all over the world so regularly we have open dial sessions where um you know, um, Members of the alliance, trade members of the alliance, will will open up their their operations and talk about the, the their products, their watches, their clocks, uh, their types of manufacturing, the problems that they encounter, the successes they have. So this sort of open sharing on a on a sort of um, regular basis in a quite a formal way um, is one of the avenues. But also there are um, there are. Um connections that, um, that people make. We put people in touch with each other. And people will come in with a I have a problem sort of question. And they will be sort of guided towards somebody who may have a solution. Um, and so the this sort of um, intertwining um and this communi- regular communication is 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 paramount really. And one of the next steps that we were taking is we, we were we're looking to um, hopefully create a sort of a careers hub um whereby um you know we can we can let people know what career opportunities there are in the industry in this in this country um and encourage you know anybody who wants to uh, and give a give a pathway if you like to to people um to 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 uh, to to know uh, what's possible and which companies are looking for what sort of um, employment, and not just in watchmaking across the, as I say, the multidisciplines that you need to run a modern business. Um, so, um, and then regularly we had we we did the one of the the key things that we we did right at the beginning uh, back in I think it's twenty one, Roger, wasn't it? Um, yes. You know, we 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 had KPMG deliver a bellwether report uh, on the industry. It's the first time. Uh, any such thing had been done which collated a huge amount of information from um from in from people in the industry and external to the industry and this report we shared with members free which gave them a real insight into um areas of um of uh, of possibilities for them so i know it, i know for instance it's 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 awakened a number of people's eyes uh, to the opportunities that the united states has for british brands um where previously they had assumed it wasn't uh, it wasn't um, it wasn't necessarily uh, a market they would uh, be able to penetrate and so we can help people penetrate these markets and in addition to that uh, we now have a um, we have a seat at government so there are uh, every every month the trade bodies across various industries meet and discuss all sorts of things, you know, including really practical things like um, you know, levels of duty into countries. And therefore, the British watch sector not having a trade body was never at the table, uh, was never able to um, represent its needs uh, to government. Well, that now happens uh, every month. Uh, and um, you know who knows what uh, what benefits will come from that. And certainly, things like duty rates are uh, are on the agenda. Anything we can do to encourage our government to try and reduce uh, the levels of duty into some key markets can only help the export of uh, of watches um, from from these shores. So there are many and varied, uh, quite practical ways in which um, in which the alliance is helping to encourage. Um, Growth—it's
0: fa- it's fascinating. I mean, th- things like taxes and import duties—not the sexiest topic. But if you're in the industry, oh, you want oh. someone speaking on your <laughs> behalf, right?
1: Uh, absolutely. I mean, no, no uh, not the not the sexiest topic at all, Ariel. Really, I can tell you, it's, uh, <laughs> it's well wor- well worth investing some time in, uh, especially especially <laughs> post Brexit. Um, so so um, you know these are these are really practical. Uh, things that um, we're involved with, and um, you know that's that's uh, unseen, but but really happening, and it wasn't happening two and a half years ago.
0: Now, Mike, you've always been really great at storytelling and communication, marketing, and I think that part of the Alliance of British Watch and is to make British watchmaking sexy and accessible, and put a sort of story around it. And I know it's still new, uh, but if you had to sort of start painting the picture of what you want people to think about when they think about watches that are made in England or made in Britain, or however exactly you wanna uh, brand it, you know, how does that compare or contrast with maybe Swiss made, and how important is that idea uh, uh, that, that even before you know what the specific brand or model is, something about made in Britain or made in England means something in the sort of context of watches?
1: Oh, it's a good question. Um... I think Roger touched on it to to a large extent earlier. Um, I, I do think that one of the key things to communicate about the the sector here is uh, is the people, and um, there are, as you know better than better than almost anybody, there are some magnificent watch brands across the world, um, you know, and, and some amazing watch brands in um, in Switzerland. But they, a lot of them are um, trading entirely on heritage um, um, or largely on heritage. And the people involved in those watch brands are largely um, hidden from view. Um, it's what often happens when businesses get very large. One of the ways, one of the differences about a small and fast-growing Almost like a. If you think of the what of watchmaking, I know it seems bizarre given the long history, but if you think about the watchmaking sector in the UK, as almost like a startup, not quite, you know, just 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 coming out of the garage as it were. Um, then what you end up with is you've got some amazing characters in this industry that we've discovered, and uh, you know, some have become friends. And I think the story of connecting watches with the watchmaker which is possible yeah. when you know who the people are behind the watchers and when there's an openness and a transparency that can be encouraged to do just that. I think that's really possible. I think it's happening uh, in the UK more than in most of the, most of the, certainly more than in, say, Switzerland. And I think it's just, it just plays to our strengths. And I, therefore, I think the, the more we can um, introduce those individual stories and those brand stories to the world. Um, and believe me, as Roger said earlier, there's some absolutely amazing stories going on. Um, um, then then I think they become um, not just stories of watchers, but human interest stories as well. And I think the merging of those two is 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 a unique opportunity that uh, we've started to begin to understand and, uh, and present. Would that be fair, Roger? Yes, yes, I think so, Mark.
0: There's a very interesting variety of brands that make up the alliance. There are companies at the top end, like Roger Smith and other luxury firms, but a lot of the companies are very mainstream by design, affordably priced, um, fashionable, hip. And I think that if you sort of thought to yourself of like the alliance of British watch and clockmakers... You might think of a lot of conservatism, but there is a lot of, you said, youthfulness, experimentation, things like that. I'd love to hear a little bit more from your perspective about the sort of variety of brands and price points and philosophies, because I think that what watchmaking is today, the definition, at least as you think of it, is much more expansive than even most collectors think of. Talk about that. Yes, I
2: mean, um, well, I suppose one of the, probably the, Very well-known. One of the well-known brands that is within the Alliance is Accurist and um, Limits, isn't it, Mike? They've been around for many, many years. Um, I remember them as a child. They were the watch to have. And um, they're one of the largest manufacturers. But price-wise, I think sort of 70, 80, 100 pounds upwards, you know, they are real entry sort of level and a mass production type watch. Mm. Um, so there are people like that involved there's obviously people like Mike who have a very interesting story with Christopher Ward and you know, approaches we all know about um, but then yes just speaking to some of these uh, these young companies you know that Mr. Jones watches and um, so on and their approach they have such fascinating stories that we've already touched upon Yeah. and um, what do you think to
1: to that mike can you add yeah no i mean i, I uh, <laughs> absolutely agree um you know i'm thinking of people like richard Bank at studio underdog um yes. you know were, you know and it's true of i think in independent watch brands have, have had a uh, an increasing influence on watch design over the past um, number of years and uh, you know a small uh company like richard's has had a huge influence on a number of uh, companies. You know, with just the use of color, for instance. You know, mm. the, the very, the very sort of adventurous use of color. You know, Thera, um are doing some amazing things with uh, with color as well. So, I mm. think you know there are there are um, and then although they they're not not a member yet of uh, at the moment of the alliance. And Adane, I think, are doing some uh, wonderful uh, wonderful things with dial um, dials mm. particularly. So. You know, there's a lot of very interesting stuff going on um, at very different price points.
2: And I think um also it's worth mentioning Fears, um, oh, which is absolutely. run by
1: um,
2: Nicholas uh, Bowman Scargle. And I think maybe seven or eight years ago, he had ideas to resurrect his long-lost family business, uh, Fears uh, Watchmakers, which was a Bristol-based company, and they were making sort of um the a big export company wasn't it Mike and they used mm, to export it was, yeah. you know um around the world their their sort of mechanical watches and Nicholas had this idea to resurrect the build business and now he's the fourth managing director, family member, yeah um managing director of the company and doing some incredible things. Uh with he's built a complete range of watches. Yeah, huge success, really. <laughs> I mean it's quite remarkable
1: and most recently a um a and this is a, a sign of um sign of the, the health of the uh, of the sector here i think and the 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 ability for, for people to collaborate i mean uh, Nicholas and uh, we have um have designed a uh, a watch together um uh which is the alliance one uh which is uh about to be made available to um club members of the members of the alliance it's a limited edition of only 50 pieces and um you know it's it's not the the first time two watch brands have come together um to do something there's one possibly more famous uh, collaboration in recent times that we're all aware of but uh, it's not that common um collaborations yes but not uh, two watch brands and um so to be able to have uh, fears and Christopher come together to produce uh, a watch where all the all the proceeds um are going uh, to uh, to the alliance is uh, i think uh, i think it says something about the it's a metaphor not just for uh, not just for um fears and cw but but actually uh, yeah, for the and the alliance but the, the the industry in this country in total and this ability and this willingness to work together um to to try and promote uh, the industry in 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 the round
0: there's a lot of poetry in the collaborations isn't there even just beyond the design what it says two companies mixing their dna you know it's it's <laughs> it's almost reproductive and sexual in nature right like it's interesting <laughs> to see the outcome no like we're fascinated by it
1: yeah, I've not I've not heard it called that before. but Yeah, I'll take I will take that. I'll I'll use that. I'll use that. Yeah.
0: People always want to know what is their baby going to look like, and that's sort of what <laughs> this is. <It's... laughs> I, I, you you've, you you've seen it. What do you think? <laughs> no, it's a it's a beautiful watch. You know, it has the Christopher Ward movement, and it yeah, has yeah. sort of a fierce aesthetic to it. Look, I am endlessly interested in this sort of cross pollination where this this company worked with that company.
1: Interesting, Ariel. The um, it de- I'm really pleased that you 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 see the fears aesthetic there. It was designed by our designers. So that was uh, I mean how uh, how big and brave of Nicholas uh, was it really to allow us to uh, design one of his watches?
0: And it could have been a Christopher Ward watch, and I think that's why people appreciate it. Is that you intentionally made a connection where it wasn't necessary. Purely for the sake of art and expression.
1: Mm, mm, mm. What a lovely way of
0: putting it. <laughs> and it's true. That's that's what it mm. is. Because when you when you wear the watch, you're meant to have an enhanced emotional experience. Mm. It's not that this product wouldn't have existed, say, for the, the the collaboration, because that's not what it's about.
1: Mm, mm, spot on. No, I like that. Yeah, I'll tell now, you that.
0: I, I want to ask a little bit about some, maybe some statistics or numbers or some perspectives, because I think it's interesting to to try to identify what the market is like for British watches. I know, for example, that uh, there's probably a lot of people in England who buy British-made watches. There's a desire to make a domestically made product. That's not always the case. Um, You know, in Japan, for example, while there's people that love Japanese-made watches, there's a lot of luxury seekers that that want a foreign-made good. And then I was also curious, in mainland Europe... Where mm-hmm. there's so much watch culture in Switzerland, in France, in Germany. What is the market in those countries like for British watches? I assume that in North America it's pretty good. I assume that in many parts of Asia it's pretty good because those have been great exporters of British culture for many, many decades. But again, in in you know, in the UK and in Europe, how do British watches do?
1: Um they do very well in the UK and um the UK is um, the largest market for British watches at the moment, um, but the US is not that far behind. I think I'm right in saying, Roger. Yeah? Um, certainly, um,
2: from my experience, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: yeah. Europe um, and Switzerland have not been um, huge markets for UK watches per se. Speaking for um, Christopher Ward, though. Um, one of our fastest. This is fascinating as well. One of our fastest growing. In fact, I think at the moment is our fastest growing market is Switzerland, which is uh, which is interesting. So Europe is um, is is another growth opportunity. But I think if you're looking at scale and where British brands uh, tend to play um, best, um, it's in places like uh, the US, um, in parts of Asia. Um, and um, including Japan, as you say, um, uh, the Japanese love um, love um, love British watches as well. So, as well as their own. Um, so, Europe is uh, it's not uh, untested, and uh, we there are sales going into there, and it's um, it's uh, reasonable size of our business, but it's um, it's nowhere near the size of the US market.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because you know British culture as an export is something which is very popular. Um, You know, it is a post-colonial effect, a post-imperial effect, but it's still very much a value for England that things that are made with a sort of British character or that are familiar or notably English are are more familiar or more readily accepted in certain places. You know, again, Mm. in in America, there's a lot of Anglophilia. And of course, in many parts of Asia, you have the same thing. And... Mm. It's very fortunate, uh, I think, for the companies because I think that your companies in the alliance, once they want to go to those markets, can have a better entra- entrance because maybe you'll provide channels where they're not just introduced as the brand name, but they're introduced as, hey, there's another you know, British watch brand that's kind of new and interesting. Um, and, and I'm just thinking about how to connect the love of British culture with interest in a British-made brand again in a way that gives your, your your alliance members a competitive advantage over you know those other uh, companies from other countries
1: yeah i think i think there's um there's an umbrella that we can put across um british but Brit- britishness is um is different things for different people and for different brands sure um and i think each brand uh, needs to forge its own uh, british identity um to a greater or lesser extent you know um uh, some 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 people will 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 drape themselves in the flag. Um, others will 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 take a different route. But I think what the alliance does, as does um, another um, uh, government-sponsored campaign called uh, the Great uh, Campaign, which we're hoping to forge links with, um, which takes um, the best of British manufacturing and brands around the world um whether that be sort of aston martin's or indeed i think um roger's own great britain watch is a is a is a constant companion goes on the tour don't you roger um your that's right
0: yes yeah yep yeah. so, this um, is a watch that um former prime minister david cameron i believe commissioned him or his office commissioned from you roger um it taught, again, that's such a great story. It's one of many, but explain a little bit about that that project.
2: Yeah, so that was uh, back in 2013 uh, when, yes, as you say, David Cameron was was in power, and um, yes, we well, basically, yeah, we had several meetings with uh, with the government office, um, Downing Street office, and the great campaign was was that was the initiative of David Cameron. Um, he wanted to create this sort of um body that would promote Great Britain around wow. the world and you know all that is good about Great Britain um in terms of business and so on and um out of several sort of conversations um they asked if I would make a watch uh, <laughs> they didn't buy the watch but um <laughs> they asked if I would uh, make a watch which um they could use to promote craftsmanship and um, sort of skills, hand skills and so on. And the thinking was that it would be quite an unusual thing for a a British watch to be seen there, you know, um, in in this type of event. You know, it's not sort of the normal thing you'd expect to come out of Britain. But, yeah, that was the the sort of the genesis of the Great Britain watch, and we built this wristwatch. then it toured um, around the world with several sort of um, on several sort of world trips. Um, as I say, just helping to tell this story of what goes on in Britain, more of many things that goes on in Britain.
0: How was that as a marketing vehicle for you? Like, did you get some interesting messages and phone calls as a result of that?
2: It, to be honest um Ariel, it's always very difficult to gauge um i mean yes i mean of course i think it it did bring you know a wider recognition but it, it's in such a small company such as ours it's very difficult to gauge you know the overall reaction of it but um it can only be positive
0: yeah no it's it's a cool thing and i'm just imagining a bunch of world leaders and business leaders and politicians who you know just aren't keyed in on the world of high horology like us would see this thing. And it's impressive. I mean, if you've ever seen any of Roger's watches in person, and I hope you get a chance one day, it's, it's a very visceral experience. You know, you can tell that there's something different about it. It doesn't have the same feeling as a mass-produced item. It's beautiful, just given the design. But I'm just imagining people seeing something like this because you just, just not every day that you see a watch that's mm-hmm. made that way. <laughs> nope. And nope. being exactly. romanced into it, be like, I, I need to know <laughs> more about this. You know, sir, sir can you make me one? <laughs> Wait, how much? <laughs> uh, yeah. Because that's the effect that these things have. Um, You know, now let's talk a little bit about, I guess we're we're, we're almost out of time here. Some of the next steps. You know, this is a, relatively novice organization both of you have successful and busy businesses that you have to run how do you continue to grow this organization give it the energy and the zeal that it needs but not sacrifice your own important legitimate uh, business responsibilities yeah
2: well we we've we've got a very good team behind it all we have Alastair Audsley and his his wife actually uh, Katia Ordsley who are sort of in charge of the day to day running and management of the business and um they are I think almost full-time employees aren't they Mike and, yeah, um, yeah
1: yeah yeah they are great yeah. yeah
2: and you know they're doing a wonderful job in in communicating to our members and getting the message out there on social media um, Instagram um, and also YouTube and um, just making those connections on a daily basis and making sure that you know we're in touch with the right people in in the media, such as yourselves, Ariel, and, uh, yeah, keeping things going. And, you know, Mike and myself and, uh, well, the team, we all get together very regularly to update each other on our various experiences and where we feel we should be going with all of this. And um, it's it's an ongoing process, very busy, but um, we've got a great team, you know, to bring some sort of stability to the daily process of it all.
1: Mm. yeah Roger. roger sprinkles some pixie dust on on the whole thing occasionally <laughs> and um, that which is, uh, which is which is rather good um in addition what i mean in a, i suppose one of the things that uh, is our task is uh, is just to try and steer the bus in the right direction and yeah. um, uh, we have set ourselves a big hairy audacious goal um uh, which is um, we call project 1 billion. And so we believe it is possible at the current rate of growth that a billion turnover—that's sterling, which is actually the same as dollars these days anyway—but uh, a billion turnover uh, is possible for British watch and clock brands uh, within a ten-year uh, period. And um, as we said earlier, the 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 overwhelming um, uh, sort of support that we're offering is is growth um and encouraging encouraging growth what's interesting i mean this this is it goes but harks back to an earlier question you asked actually one of the what were the things that you discovered one of the things that um we discovered i think is um to some extent how people some brands didn't feel that they could achieve as much as they have the potential to um mm-hmm. and um one of the one of our uh, goals is is to is to help and encourage people to actually understand how uh, large they can become if that's their goal i mean not everybody wants to be you know a a, a volume business um um looking to uh, looking to grow and grow and grow but the vast majority of members i think have a real you know, would like to. But actually, they didn't necessarily believe it was possible. How do you, you know, just not understanding how to break into the American market, thinking that was almost beyond them, um, you know, not having the contacts in these markets that uh, that would enable them to grow. All of these things were barriers. And our job is to try and take those barriers down and encourage people to, um, into this growth. And that's why we do believe that, um, you know, with the, with a following wind, with the right sort of support with the continued cooperation and collaboration amongst the ever-growing number of trade members, it really is possible that we can grow this business from around about 150 million today to about a billion. Now, that's still small in um, in scale compared to Switzerland. But, you know, it's, um, it's something that is worth... Um, it'll get noticed. It'll be very noticeable on the world stage. And... Um, It'll certainly be uh, noticeable in the UK, that is for sure.
0: An an achievable goal, I'm sure. Um, The website, everyone, uh, to see the Alliance of British and Watch and Clockmakers is BritishWatchmakers.com. My guests have been Mr. Roger Smith and Mike France of Christopher Ward Watches. Gentlemen, anything else you'd like to plug or anything else you'd like to send the audience's attention to?
1: Only, only that it's it costs only fifty five pound to become a club member, <laughs> and it's it's got to be the best value for money out there.
0: Okay. Agree totally.
1: It really has. Yeah, if you're interested mm-hmm. in watchmaking, there's no better no better club to be a member of.
0: Gentlemen, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time.
1: Thank you, thank you,
0: thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at a blogtowatch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit a blogtowatch.com.